Well, hey, can anybody guess what chapter we're on? And it rhymes with four and starts with prayer life. Man, you guys are awesome. I hardly even had to bait you on that one. But that's right. We are on the issue, once again, of prayer life is what we've been seeing. And we saw there on page 45 with the issue about prayer, what it's all about. Uh, and we saw that really, in essence, at least what I was taking from the study, because we've dealt with this before and in a, a smaller detail, is we're moving from the issue of the importance of consistency to the issue of dependency. We absolutely need to be spending time with God, okay? And we're going to see again, possibly even tonight, that when we're not spending time with God, we are actually doing the opposite of what we need to do. We are declaring our independence of God. We, in essence, don't need Him, okay? Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for saving me from eternal damnation and hell, but I'll take it from here. Okay, that in itself will get you in a a disciplinary action from God, okay, as we're going to see. But anyway, so when can I pray? We already discussed that aspect. Uh, The pattern for prayer is kind of what we covered last time. And there we saw the important thing was there is no perfect pattern for prayer, okay? And be careful of that. That's what we uh, belabored the point once again, that you don't want to get into this ritualistic mentality that it has to be in this formula. It has to be this step after this step because it becomes ritualistic. And once you do that over and over again, it becomes mindless. And once it becomes mindless, it gets boring. And then when she gets into that uh, trap, then you have to be guilted every six months or something or feel bad or get convicted. Oh no. And, And you try to go back at it and you just go back to that seesaw effect because you lose sight of the most important aspect. I would say it's a relationship with God. God, and if you keep treating it as such, then you're not going to have so much knee-jerk reaction. But we took a look at some elements when you do communicate with God, because that's what prayer is. It's just communicating with God like we do normally with other people, except, hello, it's God. That's what's amazing. And we saw some aspects to keep in mind. We saw with the adoration, the praise, the thanksgiving, that when we approach God, we're going to see a little bit of that again tonight, of who God is and how awesome it is. And uh, when we pray to him, it's not just like, oh, yeah, I guess I got to go to prayer. No, are you kidding me? This is God. He can do whatever he wants to do, man. And we should be excited, uh, let alone have a, a privileged attitude when we do it. But then we start with Thanksgiving. We need to have a thankful heart. Thank you, God. Okay? How many guys, are, you, you got your kids, but you, you weren't necessarily expecting it all the time from them. Like, thank you for this cereal. Thank you for uh, these clothes. Thank you for this new pair of socks. Thank you. You know, that's kind of nice that they say thank you. Okay? But... Don't you think God would like to hear something once in a while from his kids that, thank you, God, thank you for something, thank you for anything, right? And we, we, we forget that, that he's our father, we're his, uh, his children, and maybe we should say thanks once in a while. Consider that. Again, don't make it ritualistic. It doesn't have to be, I have to adore him first. I have to say praises to him. Then I have to move to step two Thanks. Don't do that. But just keep these things in mind. Now we're moving on to the next aspect, and that's the aspect of confession. Confession of sin. Okay, here's what it says. Out of adoration, praise, and thanksgiving will naturally come confession of sin. That's your next blank there. Confession of sin, page 47, towards the bottom there. This was the experience of Daniel, who in his prayer recorded in Daniel 9, 14, uh, 4 through 14, did not spend all his time asking, but worshiped God and confessed his own unworthiness and the sins of his people. We'll read that in a second, but once again, let's recap. If God already knows everything, and he does, right? He's omniscient. He knows the past, present, and future all at the same time. Totally cool. Okay, uh, if he knows everything, and the Bible even says he even knows what we need before we even ask him, right? So if that's the case, why do we confess? Oh, you're getting into the notes. That's what the word uh, confession means. Okay, but if you keep it through the eyes of a relationship, okay, it's just a natural thing. It's not that we confess our sins in order to be forgiven of our sins, because positionally it's already done, right? How much of our sins has Jesus forgiven us? All. So it's more of an issue of a relationship, right? Again, we used the analogy before, but just to bring it back to the study, is if your child wrecked your car and they got home and they pulled up in the driveway and was being towed, dropped it off, they came into the door, you're sitting there right there, you're seeing the whole thing unfold, the smashed car right there. What is it that you want to hear from your child? Hi, hi, Dad, what's for supper? With no acknowledgement of what you just did. no. Right? For the sake of your fellowship, your relationship, you want them to confess. You already know, right? You can see it. You just want them to begin to own up to it so you can deal with the situation. That's why we confess with God. Our sin's already taken care of, but for the sake of a relationship, our fellowship with God, uh, that's just a natural thing to do. Now, turning your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. This is cool. Daniel chapter 9. And uh, Daniel was written by... Daniel, you guys are getting there. Daniel. And... Uh, 
Daniel chapter 9, and let's read his prayer there, okay? Mighty man of God, Daniel, and uh, here's what he prayed. What I like about this, had an instructor that brought this out, was uh, Daniel, the great mighty man of God, he identified with the sins of his people. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he was necessarily in that camp. He was a great man of God. I'm not saying he was sinless, because nobody is except for Jesus. Okay, but still, he humbled himself, and he identified, we're all in this together. Oh, God, have mercy on us. Wonderful prayer of confession. Here's what he says. Let's read Daniel chapter 9, uh, starting with verse 4. He says this, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. Now, as we read this, think of our country. We have done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah, the people of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings and our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. He says it again. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster under the whole heaven. Nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. And therefore, we said, wow, we better get right with God. He is spanking us as a nation, as a people. We have rejected him. We have sinned against him. We've rebelled against him. And yet we continue the path of Israel, even here in America. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God. By turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth, the Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. And yet we still have not obeyed him. Why do things continue to go down the tubes? We still have not obeyed God. We'll give mental assent. Oh yeah, we need to turn around. I'm talking even in the church. But are we repentant enough to turn around? To stop? That's the difference. And so on and on and on it goes. But that's confession. That's a great example. He did not spend all of his time asking God. Notice in that lengthy prayer there. What was he doing? Man, he was confessing. Oh oh God, please forgive us. Please. We've sinned, we've broken, oh, we, this is why things are going so bad. This is why our country's going down the tubes. We have sinned against you, oh God. He wasn't sitting there just, and God, could you please provide this and do this and do that? And man, boy, I'm really spiritual right now because I beat my record last week of seven minutes. Okay? He spent a lot of time, he was confessing, that's the point. Confession of sin is necessary for all of us if we want to pray effectively For God must cleanse our hearts and renew the power of his spirit within us before he can hear and answer our prayers. Whoa, 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 whoa. I got to kick this one a little bit. Hear and answer our prayers. We dealt with this a little bit uh, last time. Okay, God answers all of our prayers, guys. He's omnipresent. He's not in heaven, if you will. And he's he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He's also the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's within us, okay? So he hears everything, okay? So it's not like he's going, I'm not going to listen to you. Okay, he answers them. It's just yes, no, or not now or later. So we're going to see in a little bit. Okay, and, and so he hears. Okay, he does hear everything. He, he got to say, hey, angels, I'm sorry. AJ was praying, but what did he say? Ron, did you get that email? What was it? What? Who forgot to tell me? Right, so, so in essence, he hears. Now, where I want to break it down in with the relationship, again, this is Christianese because people say, well, boy, that prayer didn't even make it beyond the roof. What? So God just, what? So where is, where is there, if there was one maverick molecule in the universe, uh, then God would not be God. Okay, he's with us wherever we go, anywhere, he's omnipresent, okay? But as we can see here, the issue is with this relationship that we have with God, is what we need to do is we need to uh, 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 confess our sins, and it's important for our fellowship. He still hears, he still answers. Now, if you, let me put it, if, to give this guy the benefit of the doubt, maybe he means something like this. Okay, let's go back to the wrecked car analogy. All right, you see the car there. You know it because obviously you see it. God sees everything. He knows what we're doing. He knows everything we sin. He knows it all. We can't hide nothing from him. 
Okay, then your son not only comes up and does not acknowledge about the wreck. Okay, you the father sitting there going like this, right? Okay, but then he has the audacity to say just like that. He says, um, oh, hey, dad, uh, what's for supper? Or, or, hey, hey, can we talk about a raise in my allowance? Okay, now if you're, wanting, if you're talking about hearing answering in the context of that, like in the essence, you did hear it and you're going to give an answer. But before you can engage on that issue, you need to back up the train and say, listen, we need to talk about something else first. Okay, if you're talking about that, I would agree with that, okay? And uh, because, again, God is God. He hears everything. He answers everything. Yes, no, or not now. But for the sake of a relationship, you might need to deal with something. That's why it's important. And that's why it says, you know, it's important to confess your sins. As I've said before, hey, if God convicts your heart, if you do something, confess it right then and there. Don't stack it up. Don't wait to the end of the day. You're going to forget half of them anyway. Just deal with it. Get that relationship, okay? When you blow it with your spouse. Ooh, I'm going meddling. When you blow it with your spouse, do you like, wait, well... I'd like to deal with this now, honey, but uh, uh, it's early in the morning, and uh, I don't have my confession time until later this evening. <laughs> no, you want to deal with that as it comes up. That would be smart. Unfortunately, we do do that, and that creates trouble. Same thing in our relationship with God. Okay, let's continue on. In John's first epistle, he states, if we confess our sins, confess is your next blank there, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. John has stated earlier in the same chapter that the reason that these things are written to us, okay, is so that our joy may be made complete. When you get right with your dad for wrecking the car, you kind of come back together again a little bit, right? Right? If you never can get around to confessing, let alone thanking God and adoring him and being grateful for who he is and what he's done, it's just kind of sticky. You got a relationship with him, of course. It's eternally secure. But you might want to just get it out, okay, is the issue that's going on there. Okay, so that your joy may be made complete. The Greek word used in 1 John 9, translated confess in our English Bible, is homo okay? And uh, two words that's made up of that, so you've got homo and legeo. This means the same, okay, as in hama or hamas or homosexual, which means same kind, okay, is what's going on there. Uh, and uh, which word you get the opposite of that is uh, heteros. Heteros means uh, another of a different kind, okay, where you get heterosexuals, okay, so you got same, and you got lago, or legeo, which means the word or study of is what's going on there, so that's literally what it means there, it means to confess is to say the same thing, why, because God already knows, you're just saying the same thing, he already knows it, you're saying the same thing he already knows, because he knows everything, you're just, you're coughing it up for the sake of the relationship, yeah, you're right, dad, I can't hide this from you, right there in the driveway and the guy's coming over to want you to pay for the tow uh yeah i wrecked the car would you please forgive me okay and then you can begin on that aspect so you're saying the same thing to agree to admit to concede or to confess john is talking about a christian's walk is your next blank there walk and fellowship within the family of god walk and fellowship with god he's dealing with our experience not our position Because again, if you had to confess all your sins in order to be forgiven of all your sins, that would make confession a work, and then you'd have a works-based salvation. Plus, it would be impossible to know because we don't know all of our sins. So how could we ever get around to confessing all of our sins in order to be saved, in order to be forgiven, and it's not. But when you look at it once again through the eyes of a relationship... It makes perfect sense. You're saying the same thing. God already knows. But for the sake of fellowship, that's what you need to do. Experience not our position before God. Our position before God is secure because of our imputed or credited righteousness of Christ. Now, as we saw before, that basically in vernacular is God's divine accounting system where he takes all of our rottenness and he places it on the cross of Jesus Christ. He takes all his righteousness and places that onto our account. Can anybody say amen? Praise God, that's what he does. But our fellowship with the Father, now can I translate that, if you will, that word there, fellowship? Fellowship with the Father. Sounds so neat, and it is. Okay, it's like intimacy. Okay, closeness, right? You know, like before you wrecked the car. Yeah, you and Dad had a great day that day until you came home, right? And now there's some friction going on, all right? You're still his son, he's still your dad, and that's never gonna change, okay? And, uh, but same thing, that's your closeness, your intimacy. So when we're talking about fellowship, With God, we're talking about the closeness, the intimacy, because the relationship is already secure. The fellowship with the Father in our daily walk is dependent upon walking in the light, as John states it. So if you walk in the darkness, can I translate that Christianese phrase for you? Uh, E-sin, 
you confess, and you get back into, if you will, fellowship and or our intimacy. Doesn't mean that, and see, that's a problem. You, when people get uh, experiential uh, aspects of Scripture with positional aspects of Scripture, they say, well, see, I sinned and I fell out of fellowship with God. I lost my salvation. No. There's, you know, it feels like maybe God's a million miles away, but he's not. But you go through that sticky kind of, it's not so intimate like it used to be because you're not, you're, things are stacking up and you're going down a route of sin and you need to confess that. Okay, walking in the light means that when we do something opposite the light, i.e. God's truth, we admit it and we don't lie about it before God by saying, we have no sin. Right? You guys ever do that with God? Oh no, I'm falling wrong. Right? Yeah, no, yeah. Anyway, and confession, that's your next phrase there again. Confession restores our fellowship with the Father. Again, the intimacy, the closeness with the Father. Not a relationship that's already secure. And, and he forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The psalmist communicates the process of our confession and restoration beautifully. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide as if we could. Okay, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you did forgive the guilt of my sin. Pray that God would bring to mind any unconfessed sin in your life and confess it before moving on. And again, I'm telling you, don't say, well, as soon as it happens, get into that knee-jerk reaction, God, would you please forgive me? And spell it out, okay? This is a technique that I use with uh, marriage counseling, okay? I call it sealing the deal when it comes to forgiveness between couples, did you know that couples sometimes can do some nasty things to each other? I know nobody here. It's just weird people about 18 miles that way. Yes, whatever. But, uh, uh, <laughs> okay. And what you do is, see, we think it's a big deal when we go, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. No, that's not, that doesn't cut it, okay? And you say, oh, then this, this one makes it worse. Well, I'm sorry that you took it that way. That's even worse, right? Okay. And then you say well, like this, uh, well, you need to forgive me. No, now you're giving an order. And then we think we're really doing it good when we say, um, um, will you forgive me? Ah, you're getting closer. But if you really want to get rid of that barb out of the heart of whatever you did to your spouse, you need to cough it up and you say, will you please forgive me? Notice you're asking permission. Will you please forgive me? And then you spell it out for cooking you chicken three nights in a row. So, I mean, I mean and it's like, oh, that's exactly what I've been waiting to hear. You know what I'm saying? And it's the same thing with God. Don't say, God, you forgive me. He already knows, but for the sake of a relationship, okay, just get it out. God, would you please forgive me for, uh, you know, running Kenny off the road and smashing his moped last week? You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, would you please forgive me for purposely, that's what Pastor Billy didn't say, closing that hood on suspenders so he would get caught in there. Man, that was funny, but that was wrong, God. I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? You know what I'm saying? You need to spell it out uh, as we see there. And that's what he says. Pray that God would bring uh, any unconfessed sin in your life and confess it before moving on. Thank God for the provision of a son on the cross that made your forgiveness possible. The guilt will be lifted and you will again be walking in the light, again, experiencing that intimacy because your relationship's already there. Okay, it's just like you, you owned up to wrecking the car with your dad. All right? Can you imagine the next two days if you didn't own up to it? It would just get worse and worse. Same thing, man. If you could just let it stack up. Don't, don't even get in that route. Just immediately confess, confess, confess. As soon as the Holy Spirit convicts you, confess. Okay? And just keep that tight walk with Jesus. Keep walking in the light. Okay? And enjoy your walk with Him. Okay? Intercession is the next phrase there. Intercession is the one that we're on now. And uh, here's what it says there in the middle of page 48. It says, intercession is defined as prayer... Petition or entreaty in favor of another. Prayer, petition, or entreaty in favor of another. Now, intercession, folks. Sometimes people go, oh, man, I, I don't even know what to pray. I, I don't, how do you pray? I can't even last five minutes. I don't even know what to pray about. Pray, man, just interceding for things and other people and needs. Are you kidding me? <laughs> There's all kinds of things, let alone your personal stuff, right? And if you just get locked in intercession, man, it's, it's an amazing ministry. Intercessory prayer. Okay, but I think oftentimes we have got God so denigrated, so like, it, again, as if prayer is the spare tire in the trunk. I say, are you kidding me? We're talking about God. What a privilege it is to communicate with him, and as if he's dried up on the throne and can't do something. And I think that's really our mentality, why we would treat prayer as the last resort instead of the first knee-jerk reaction. Because we've got so low, low view of a God. 
of God and who he is. Okay, so let me remind you of just who our God is and just what your appetite when you begin to intercede on behalf of other people, intercede for situations, dare I say intercede for the church uh, and things of that nature. Listen to who our God is. Keep these things in mind when you approach his throne of grace with confidence. First of all, God can perform. Did you know this, guys? He can perform miracles today. In fact, he can perform any miracle he wants. I love this passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 8 says this, uh, verse 23 through 27. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. And Jesus was freaking out. He was screaming like a little girl. He was, he was sleeping. What a complete contrast. Now, that's exactly what his disciples were doing. Some of this was really funny. Some of the, the Greek words there, uh, when it talks about the disciples were screaming or whatever, it literally means shrieking like, Aah! like a little girly. I mean, they were freaked out. It's really cool in the Greek. But anyway, so Jesus, though, he was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus replied, you of little faith. Oh, isn't that our problem? He says, why are you so afraid? And then he, Jesus, got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of a man is this? Even the winds and the waves obeyed him. Now listen, that really happened. I mean, a crazy, whacked out storm, crazy, and Jesus just said, stop. And it wasn't over five minutes. And it starts going calm. Bang, it's over. Right? God can calm any storm just like that. <laughs> Too bad he can't take care of our storms in life. <laughs> Man, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, if he could, I'd sure like to spend time and ask him, intercede. And... You see what I'm saying? God can calm any storm, guys. Natural, physical, emotional, marital, whatever. He can do whatever he wants. Okay? Just like that. Okay? And so when we ask him, we go in with faith, knowing he can do these things. Okay? Another miracle he does, he can bring anything to life. I love this one. This is kind of where I'm at uh, lately in my devotions. I'm in Genesis, and Genesis 18 is the account of Sarah. Tell me God does not have a sense of humor, right? Abraham, when he had Isaac, uh, actually uh, Sarah did, uh, but when he, uh, Isaac was born, he was 100 years old. Byron, how old are you? Right? You want to confess? 77, okay. So you got, to, to what, 23 more years. And you're about to have another boy. Wouldn't that be cool? He thinks so. Diane might have another uh, reality going, but uh, we won't go there. But, uh, <laughs> now, and Sarah was 90 years old. 90! Ladies, how would you like to have a baby at 90? No, but this happened. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor, right? But the Bible says in Hebrews, it, it was forgotten. he was as good as dead. It wasn't going to happen. Medically, it's impossible. There's nothing there. It's not going to work. And then three angels shows up and says this. He says, uh, now Sarah, she was listening at the entrance of the tent. And because uh, they had said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So she laughs behind the tent. The funny thing that Sarah, Isaac, that's what his name means. He laughs, laughter. And so she laughs and she thought to herself, after I'm worn out and my master's old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Listen, is anything too hard for the Lord? And he says, I will return to you at the point in time next year and Sarah is going to have a son. And of course she did. God can bring anything he wants back to life out of death, out of seemingly nothing. He can restore a marriage out of nowhere. He can restore a relationship. He can heal you at any time, anything he wants. And yet we somehow do think that somehow our problems are too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That was the rebuke. You crazy? If I want to have somebody at 200 have a baby, it's going to happen. That's our God. That's who we are approaching the throne of grace when we intercede in situations as there. He also destroyed our greatest enemy, Satan. Right? First John uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus didn't come just to forgive us of our sins. Praise God for that. He came to destroy the one who instituted sin. And this is what's crazy. Sometimes we Christians give more credit, more glory, more attention to the enemy. Oh no, he's coming here, he's doing this. He's oh! And Jesus is the one who's whooped them. 
He's defeated. He's a pipsqueak of a rat. Not Jesus. Satan is. And if I'm going to give somebody attention and glory and honor and boast about, it ain't going to be the devil. He's the defeated one. I'm going to praise Jesus Christ. Okay? I don't have to worry about Satan. Greater is he that is in me, Jesus, the Spirit of God, than he that is in this world. There's nothing to be afraid about. The next way is God can save anybody he wants. Matthew chapter 19, verse 24 through 26 says this. Again, I tell you, Jesus speaking, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, this is important. We're talking about intercession here. Have you ever prayed for your loved ones? If you don't, shame on you. Are you kidding me? Don't you understand what's on the line here? I'm always constantly praying, especially for my mom. I don't know where she's at with the Lord. And so, man, constantly, God, please have mercy on her. Don't ever let a day go by where you're not praying for somebody, your family, your friends, your co-workers. This isn't just, oh, I had a one guy one time at a funeral. Just, oh, mm, you just one of, one of those righteous indignation thingies, hopefully. <laughs> it wasn't the flesh. It's just like, oh, they, 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 they didn't go to heaven. Say it. Say it. Because people need to realize the consequences. They went to hell. It's not just you don't go to heaven. What's the flip side of the coin? You go to hell. And that's what keeps me interceding for my family and my friends. Are you kidding me? This is not, oh, hey, they missed out on Disneyland. Oh, no, this is forever. But the good news is, I mean, after times, this is why I love this passage. With God, all things are possible. He's talking about salvation. Sometimes you've prayed all you can pray. You've said all you can say. You've witnessed all you can witness. They keep rejecting. They say, no, no. It seems to even get worse. All God's got to do is that and the person's saved. Don't give up. Yeah, with man, with us, of course it's impossible. But with God, he can save anybody he wants. Okay? Don't give up interceding for them. He can defeat any obstacle. Now, this is where it gets practical. We're talking about troubles. Numbers chapter 11, verse 21 through 23 says this. But Moses said, here I am, God. Come on. Among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, I'm going to give them meat to eat for a whole month. 600,000. Kenny, how would you like to prepare a potluck for 600,000 guys? Oh, you bet. Praise God, a man of faith. That's right. That uh, moped uh, disaster did not hurt you at all. But anyway, so, yeah, right? 600,000. Now listen, not just for one day, Kenny, but for a whole month. And so Moses, you can kind of understand, he's, he's starting to doubt. He's going, God, because God said it. He's like, God, come on, what are you doing here? You're going to say, what? And Moses said, God, would they have enough if the flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? He was looking at the natural. God, if all the fish in the sea were caught for him, and the Lord answered Moses, I love this, is the Lord's arm too short? Come on. He says, you will see uh, whether or not what I say will come true for you. Now, that's a huge obstacle. Feeding 600,000 guys for a whole month. All the meat that they want, right? But God did it. But man, praise God, that was only Moses. We don't act like God's arm's too short when it comes to our provision. <laughs> we don't act like it's a hard thing for God to do. Are you kidding me? The Bible says it's easy. 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 17 through 8. For this is what the Lord says. You're neither going to see wind nor rain, yet this valley is going to be filled with water, and you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord to do. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We already saw that's the Hebrew word that my son's apparently already using. Right? That's what it means. So God said, and here goes the universe. Here comes the earth. There's all the animals. That literally is God. The very first line in the Bible that we say that we read tells us who our God is. He creates anything out of nothing. That's how powerful he is. He creates the whole universe out of nothing. He has the power to do anything. And yet somehow he's our spare tire in the trunk. After we tried everything in our own natural resources and thinking and wisdom and abilities, oh, I guess I better pray. Are you kidding me? This is our God. Here's the kicker. He wants to hear from us. And he wants to do great things on our behalf. This needs to be our attitude. Folks, this is why Gideon, I really think because they had a better attitude of who God is, this is why Gideon and three other men could take on and defeat thousands of their enemies and later sing, uh, single-handedly 
Gideon defeated a whole town. This is why Samson could rip off the massive gates of a city and kill thousands of people coming at him with just the jawbone of a donkey. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could stand up against the world ruler of the day who was threatening them with death on the spot and actually say, take a hike, king. We serve only God, the almighty king. This is why Moses, an 80-year-old guy, could go up to Pharaoh, another world power, and give him orders and say, you better let my people go. This is why David, a 12 to 14-year-old boy, could go and defeat a seasoned warrior named Goliath who's about nine feet tall. It's the same thing. We all say we want a David-like walk and a David-like strength and a David-like faith. But are we walking in the awareness that apparently David had of who God is? Because he looked at his obstacle and didn't say, I better go figure this out. Let's go drop a plan. I'm going to have to figure out the mathematical calculations uh, for the correct trajectory for missile number one, missile number two with my sling. In in fact, I'm going to have to get some advice from my friends and figure this out. And, And if that doesn't work, I guess I better pray to God. Are you kidding me? His knee jerk reaction was what? You're going down in the name of the Lord. And bang, he defeated him. Okay. Now that's just to whet your appetite when it comes to intercession. So when we pray, as he says down here, there's many examples of intercession in the Bible. Here's a bunch of different types that can be seen. This includes uh, intercession for the afflicted. Well, I don't know. I don't know about praying for that person who's got cancer. I tell you what, are you kidding me? God can do whatever he wants to do. He can calm the storms. He can heal anybody. He can make a 90-year-old woman have a baby. He can heal that thing. Right? That's our attitude to have. We pray for believers by spiritual leaders. Did you know I pray for you guys? Thanks, Pastor Billy. Well, gee, I'm trying to cry in front of you, buddy. Okay, uh, believers in general, do you know we should pray for each other? What a concept. Interesting. Children, my parents, oh, God, no, I don't know what we're going to do with my child, the way we're child. He can save anybody he wants. Don't give up. Yeah, with you, with us, it's impossible. With God, he, all he's got to do is go, bang, they're saved. On fire Christian. That's what he, hey, we can pray for our enemies. We intercede for them. God bless them, uh, just like he did with me. Have mercy on them. Uh, ha- uh, pray for everyone. Ministers. Now, I already said I'm praying for you guys. Thanks. I wonder if you're praying for the right thing, though. But anyway, no, no. (laughs) Not just would uh, I encourage you to pray for me, but for all of us here at Sunrise. Because I'm telling you guys, until we develop this attitude of dependency. Where's that word? Dependency. We're wanting to do great things for God, and God is doing great things. But can you imagine what he could do if we really cut loose in this prayerful mindset of dependency? Charles Spurgeon learned this. Listen to this. Many Christian leaders consider Charles Spurgeon to be the greatest uh, preacher England ever produced. He's commonly hailed the prince of uh, preachers. Uh, Over 63 volumes of published sermons still bear witness of the riches of his ministry. Though known as a great preacher, it was not, listen, preaching that made Spurgeon great. Mr. Spurgeon repeatedly acknowledged his success as the direct result of his congregation's faithful prayers. Quote, it has often been remarked that the whole church helped produce Spurgeon. When visitors would come to Spurgeon's church, he would take them to the basement prayer room where people were always on their knees interceding. And then Spurgeon would declare, here is the powerhouse of this church. In his autobiography, he described his gratefulness for being blessed with such a praying church. He says, I will always give all the glory to God, but I do not forget that he gave me the privilege of ministering from the first to a praying people. And one of Spurgeon's greatest concerns was that his people learned to truly pray. He taught his people to pray, doing so far more by his example than by any preaching. People heard him pray with such reality that they became ashamed of their own mere repetition of words. Throughout his entire ministry, many hearers remarked that they were moved by his preaching, but still more were affected by his praying. D.L. Moody, another great evangelist, after his first visit to England, uh, being asked upon his return to America, said, did you hear Spurgeon preach? And he replied, yes, but better still, I heard him pray. A close friend of Spurgeon commented on his prayer life. His public prayers were an inspiration, but his prayers with the family were to me more wonderful still. Mr. Spurgeon, when bowed before God in family prayer, appeared a grander man even when holding thousands spellbound by his sermons. Spurgeon uh, fully recognized that the church's greatest need, listen, was not to have another prince of preachers, but to have more princes of prayer. Wow. In Spurgeon's eyes, the prayer meeting was the most important meeting of the week. 
It is here that many of us find ourselves in conflict with dear Mr. Spurgeon. We love our meetings for preaching. We love our meetings for praising. And yet sadly neglect those set aside for praying. He said, we had prayer meetings that moved our very souls. Each one appeared to determine to storm the celestial city by the might of intercession. Spurgeon regarded the prayer meeting, listen, the spiritual thermometer of the church. And if we are not a praying people here at sunrise, that's the level of our spirituality. And it's not just that. His, his church's Monday night meeting uh, had a worldwide testimony for many years. Every night, a large portion of Spurgeon's sanctuary was filled with earnest and fervent intercessors in prayer. You want to change that 95 percentile here in Las Vegas? We need to start sucking carpet, individually and corporately. We need to get serious about that. And realize that this is the attitude of dependency that unleashes the power of God. That's, he freely admits, that's why God used him in such a great way. It wasn't him. It wasn't his preaching, although that gets the credit. He clearly said, no, it was the prayers of the people. That's what it was. That's the privilege that we have when it comes to interceding. So let's continue on. He says, again, each uh, prayer time may not include intercession for all these groups, but they should be included oftentimes in our prayers. Intercessory prayer is a part of loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's exciting to see God move to meet somebody's needs after we prayed for them. Anybody ever do that? Just makes you want to pray even more, doesn't it? Okay. What a privilege we have to intercede for others. Notice a privilege. It's not a pain. It's not a spare tire in the trunk. It's not the last resort. Wow. You, you mean I not only get to say, I have this open communication with you, God, and, and just get to, woo! actually communicate with you with boldness and confidence uh, the very throne of grace and 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 just thank you for all the wonderful things and and lay my needs at your feet but i actually can also pray for other people on their behalf yeah let's talk about that petitions the next one petition means an earnest request earnest is your blank there earnest request or actually means verb that's shortened form uh something asked or requested you're waking up that's good uh, something asked <laughs> or requested, okay? James told the Jewish Christians he wrote to, you do not have because you do not ask. Got to kick that one. Sorry, guys. We got to kick this. Open your Bibles to James chapter four, okay? That one's so oftentimes misquoted, unfortunately, by the word of faith, uh, guys. Uh, see, all you got to do, you, just, you don't have because you don't ask. You just got to ask God and you're going to have that Cadillac. Woo-hoo. Really? Read the context, okay? James chapter four. Let's start with verse one to grab the context there. He says this, man, this never happens in churches. This never happens to Christians uh, amongst each other, does it? Uh, yes, I'm being facetious. Uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Can, can I retranslate that? What causes fights and quarrels in churches? What causes fights and quarrels amongst Christians? Amongst anybody? Here's the answer. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It's all about you. You want something and you don't get it, right? He says this. He says, you, and so here's what you do. You kill, you covet, but you cannot have what you want. So what do you do? You quarrel and you fight. Why are they doing this? How come I going to do that? I going to do that. Well, that's not what I want. Here's what I want. And so you start to resort to politics. You don't pray to God. You don't ask him. That's the next verse. He says this, and you don't have because you don't ask God. You don't even ask God. You don't even entreat God. You don't even ask for permission to God. You don't even seek his will. You say, no, that's what I want. I want it this way. This is how it should be. I know what's right. And you will resort to politics. You will fight. You will quarrel. You'll do all kinds of things behind the scenes just to get your way. But praise God, that never happens. Man, is the Bible relevant or what? Now, don't stop there. He says, now, guess what? doesn't mean just because you ask, you're going to get it either. Because this is the whole context. He says, you don't have because you don't ask God. Oh, and by the way, when you ask, it's all about you, 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 you want you. He says, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you want for the glory of God. What's best for the church? What's best for everybody? What's best for... No, because it's all about you. You don't get it because you want it on your own pleasures. You adulterous people... Don't you know that friendship with the world, you're acting like the world when you do that. We're Christians. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Whoa. I just had to kick that because, again, I don't want to get this, you know, you just ask, you're going to have it. No, no, no. Okay, there's much more going on there. But he says there, but you do need to ask God. Hello, okay. God will supply all our needs, and my God shall supply all, is your next blank there, All your needs, according to his riches in glory, in Christ Jesus, is the next two blanks. In Christ 
Jesus, okay? Now, again, put that in its context. So you ask, God's going to supply everything you ever want? No, he does promise in Matthew 6, uh, he says that if you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, all these things, what you, in the context is what you eat, what you drink, what you're going to wear, your basic needs. You seek him first, he'll make sure that you got clothes. How many of you guys got clothes on? Praise God, because that'd be a serious distraction right now if it, well, you didn't. Okay, but God's taking care of you. He's living up to his promises. How many of you guys ate some food today? Okay, that's good. Okay, and how many of you guys have a place to crash? Hey, praise God, life is good, isn't it? You're right. But no, we got to have more. Right? You seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. He's taking care of you. Okay? Okay? That's what he says there. He's going to supply all your needs. Doesn't mean a Cadillac. Doesn't mean a mansion. Doesn't mean a million dollars. But he's got food in your belly, clothes on your back, and you've got a place to crash. God is faithful. Okay? And sometimes he does choose to give us our desires. But listen to where those desires come from. Delight yourself in all the ways of this world, and whatever it is, God will guarantee that it's what he will... No, you delight yourselves in who? Now, what happens to your heart when you delight yourself in God? Kind of changes your heart, doesn't it? Right? God starts to birth things in your heart, doesn't it? Right? Guess what? Those things are probably from God. And so when you delight yourself in the Lord and his desires are whipping up through your heart there, guess what? And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right? He's the one who put them in there. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. The key to a successful prayer life is to pray in the will of God. John tells us in the first epistle... Uh, And this is the confidence we have before him that if we ask anything according to our will, God is going to, oh, I'm sorry. If we sow a seed to a person's ministry with $100, we are guaranteed 1,000. Oh, I'm sorry. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, and again, in the context, God hears all things. But if you're talking about uh, saying a yes, if you will, Okay, in the relationship, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. All petitions are answered by God, there you go, okay, in one of three ways. Yes, no, or later. And I'm telling you, it's the no and the later that seems to drive us up the wall, okay? Or wallachus, if you want to sound very Greek and spiritual, okay? But, uh, but that doesn't mean uh, it's bad. God knows what he's doing. That's what we're on the study. Even the things that we find challenging is good from God, isn't it? Man, he's awesome because he's promised that all things are being orchestrated for our good. He said it. Okay, we just need to trust him. This is because God is sovereign and he wants the best for our lives and God's plan to conform us to the image of his son. He's working all things for our good. Thus, anything that we ask that does not fit into the sovereign plan, your next two blanks are the sovereign plan of God for our lives, will not be granted. And again, how many guys are so glad there was that one thing that you kept praying for, and you were praying for, and you were convinced this was the will of God, and I had to have it, I had to have it, and he didn't give it to you. And later, and you might even throw in a little tantrum. But later down the road, you said, praise God. He didn't give me that. (laughs) That would have messed me up, right? Or if I would have settled for that, I would have missed out on this better situation here. He knows what he's doing. Relax. Enjoy the right of life. Trust him. Finally, the attitude of prayer. What should be our attitude when we pray? Well, we need to just doubt. And we need to just only return to God as a last resort. When, when pretty much you've done everything you can do. No, wrong answer. Uh, can we demand things of God as some claim? Or should we fear or revere God? The writer of the letter in Hebrew states, let us therefore draw near with confidence. Underline that. Confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in our time of need. We can draw near with confidence, is your next blank there. Confidence before God's throne because we are his children. Okay? And underline this, put stars around it, draw, if you have time, not now but later, some shooting rockets, do that, whatever you got to do, firecrackers going off. Right here, he wants to hear from us. I hope and pray that never gets old to you. That the creator of the universe, we not only can speak with him, but he wants to hear from you. And you, and you, and you, and you. He really does. Isn't that a kicker? It's amazing. That's what he says there. 
Okay? And also we need to know that we have the perfect mediator presenting our prayers before the Father. Jesus Christ is our mediator or go-between that presents our prayers before the Father. 1 Timothy 2.5 states, For there is one God and one mediator, here's your blank there, one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We should also be reminded that we, uh, we are praying to the awesome God of the universe. That's what we saw earlier which is to tease what nothing is impossible with God. He can do whatever he wants to do. His arm is not too short. This is not difficult. He did a haya and brought everything to the universe. Give me a break. He can take care of our situation. Okay, I don't care what it is. Okay, thus we should pray in reverence. Is your final blank there? We should pray in reverence. As the psalmist says, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear, have a holy reverence toward him. And he will also hear their cry. And he will save them. I am convinced, guys, God's doing great things here at Sunrise. And uh, things are just getting fired up. Okay? Very exciting times of what God's doing. But I'm telling you, if we really want to do great things for him, it's not us. It's him in us. And the way that we say, God, we know it's not us. God, we know it's you. God, we are truly doing this for your glory, for your attention. God, God... The way that we show him we mean business is this daily prayer time. So much so, it's not sporadic. It becomes a way of life. And we communicate to him constantly for other people. It's just a way of life. And again, what a way of life that is. Before we even get to heaven and see him face to face, we can grow closer and I walk with him. We could talk to him at any time, anywhere, over anything And he wants to hear from us. Who wouldn't want to have that kind of life? Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall to give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, "...you shall not bear false witness." That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief, Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy, even His name is holy. Hey folks, let's be honest, if you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that's the same thing. Uh, It's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. 
I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.